Salo for Lava. This is Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. I'm Susana Suisuki. Coming up... I've never said that uh, we're going to introduce border restrictions. Samuel's health boss says media reports on COVID border restrictions are incorrect. Also... Our intention is to tangibly improve the lives of Pacific people. New Zealand's new Pacific minister promises to deliver for the community. And later... Uh, I just dedicated this fight for my mum. She uh, recently passed away. Cook Island's MMA fighter battles his way to the top. Samoa's Director General of Health has confirmed to RNZ Pacific that border restrictions haven't been recommended, despite recent media reports suggesting they may be considered. However, Ayono Dr. Aleka Ikaroma says the Ministry of Health may recommend increasing COVID-19 testing at the airport if cases continue to increase. He speaks with Caleb Fotheringham. I've never said that uh, we're going to introduce border restrictions. We might, of course, uh, recommend to government that we have widespread testing at the airport if the numbers stack up. But right now, we haven't made that recommendation to government. So only government can actually articulate uh, closing of borders or restrictions at borders. Uh, we make recommendations to government and government to actually then approve uh, or disapprove. Uh, at the moment, as you know, the numbers of COVID cases in Samoa is increasing. And that is expected because of the uh, increase in cases in New Zealand. And we have something like two daily flights from New Zealand a day. So we expect an increase in numbers and we have demonstrated that there's an increase in numbers. We're going to continue testing. At the same time, we have advised our community to obtain their COVID boosters because that will protect the community and the public. So far, the response has been poor, but I'm hoping really that uh, with more news of an increase in COVID numbers in Samoa, those who are at high risk of getting and or having severe disease will come forward to have their boosters done. But the Ministry of Health is, uh, is, con- is going to continue uh, increasing testing, especially those who are symptomatic. So we're not doing sort of widespread testing at the moment. We're just doing testing for those who are symptomatic, presenting to hospitals. So has the Ministry of Health recommended to the government to start testing at the borders? We are only testing those who are symptomatic. So those coming off flights, uh, of course, they, they fill in that form, um, the arrival uh, form. And in there, they will in- indicate whether they have fever or cough. So we are actually putting up signs there to say, we are giving out uh, pamphlets to say that if you are symptomatic, then uh, we have a testing station there. Uh, So we're not testing everyone because we don't want to affect the movement of uh, people in the airports uh, just yet. Uh, We're only testing those who present and who are symptomatic. So has the Ministry of Health made any recommendations to the government yet on anything related? No, no we haven't. So the, the report in the global news is, uh, is, is uh, not correct. I see, I see. And just on the testing um, that I guess is already happening, are they just rat tests? Uh, so most of them are rat tests, but we are also increasingly doing PCR. So the problem, of course, with PCRs is that there has to be two swabs taken. 
and people don't normally would like two swabs and also more expensive, but it, we know, of course, there's an underestimation with rat tests. So hence the reason why we are also testing those who are, have negative rats because of that fact. If someone tests positive, what are the consequences to that? What do they have to do? Well, at the moment, people who test positive are asked to self-isolate at home because that's a current policy. And only if they are severely ill, of course, then they need to come to the hospital and and they, they will be isolated uh, in the hospital. But right now, we don't have an increase in SARIs. These are severe respiratory symptoms. We don't have an increase in that. And so that's, uh, so that's good. If there was an increase in people admitted with uh, severe respiratory symptoms, then, of course, we would have to review the advice to, uh, to the public. And also then we will have to advise government. How many COVID cases do you think are in Samoa right now? I think that the numbers at the moment is about 30. Uh, and uh, since uh, we started testing again, um, but I feel that probably that that's an underestimate because, as you know, uh, we're only testing those who have symptoms. It's, it's possible for asymptomatic people to have COVID. So it, it could be two or three times higher than what the numbers uh, show. And uh, as more flights arrive from New Zealand uh, and from the United States over Christmas, uh, we can bet that the numbers will increase. And as long as uh, we don't have severe disease and people are admitted for, you know, to hospital to our intensive care, for example, then uh, we will just remain at testing those who are symptomatic and advising the public again to get their boosters done. I suppose um, just with the current situation, testing people at the borders and only testing people who say they are feeling symptoms, I could imagine people who might be feeling symptomatic, I imagine a lot of them will say, no, they're not feeling symptomatic um, because they're probably on holiday and they probably don't want to self-isolate. Do you think that could be a problem? Yes, that will be a problem and uh, that uh, is uh, possible. We're um, hoping, of course, that people will be telling us the truth, that uh, they are not well and that uh, they need to be tested. But you are absolutely right that there will be some people that... um, that will lie. And uh, I mean, the current government policy, of course, is to live with the virus. That's the current government policy. So as long as there's no increase in the number of people admitted with severe symptoms at the hospital, and as long as more people come forward for their boosters, uh, I suppose there's sort of no huge concern for us. And uh, we won't be advising the government, of course, for any border restrictions. But uh, we will have to monitor for the next, uh, you know, few weeks as the Christmas season uh, peaks um, and more people coming in, whether uh, there's going to be any increase in severe disease. Mm. New Zealand's new Minister of Pacific Peoples says he's passionate about the well-being of Pacifica community and wants them to flourish. Dr Shane Retty not only holds the Pacific portfolio, he's also the Minister for Health, promising positive outcomes for the people he'll be serving. Minister Retty has been an MP since 2014 and has been National's Pacific People's spokesperson on the opposition benches since 2021. During his first week on the job, he told Alicia Foon that he's committed to the roles over the next three years in government. 
We've started discussions with the uh, Ministry for Pacific Peoples, and uh, at PACE we will bring up a range of targets that uh, we believe, and our intention is to tangibly improve the lives of Pacific Peoples. And so we've started that piece of work uh, already, and uh, once we settle and agree on those targets, then we'll get straight underway implementing them, because we are a government that wants to deliver tangible benefits that people actually see, touch, smell and feel. And so we're underway with that piece of work right now. Although this hasn't been finalised, what does this look like? Can you provide examples of what tangible change and targets are? What I can tell you is that they will sit uh, across the domains of, uh, and not necessarily all of them, but uh, the targets and outcomes will derive from the domains of economy, health, education, law and order, infrastructure, housing. Those will be the main domains that we'll take the uh, outcome measures and targets from. Will there be any changes to the Ministry of Pacific Peoples under this new government? Um, the Prime Minister has given me the privilege of being the Minister for Pacific Peoples, and that should send a signal uh, that he values the ministry and that uh, he would put a senior person uh, in that role. So we should draw our conclusions from that. And prior to the election, David Seymour mentioned there needed to be some changes, that he wanted to abolish this, but obviously you're in this position. Will we see any um, bureaucratic changes to the way that it's managed in terms of funding and financing? Uh, so what you will see uh, will be consistent with uh, our uh, commitments and discussions across all of government, uh, that is that possibility of a 6.5% reduction, which has been flagged uh, in the coalition agreement uh, across all government departments that will apply to, well, apart from health and education, uh, that, that will apply and we'll need to work our way through that. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, we will still be committed to achieving the outcomes that make a difference. The National Party doesn't have any MPs with Pacific Heritage, but you bring over 30 years' experience to this role in your Māori. So what can Pacific communities and leaders expect from you in terms of connection and working with communities and church leaders? Yeah, so uh, my clinical life uh, and my style, if you like, is very people-focused. Um, and so you'll see substantial effort uh, into relationships and relationship building Having said that, uh, at the end of the day, there still needs to be tangible outcomes. And so it's a, a parallel process, if you like, to build relationships, to build trust that then help you get to those outcomes. For example, uh, it is likely that uh, across health and or specific peoples that uh, immunisation uh, will be an outcome measure. Uh, it strikes me that relationships with people of faith uh, particularly for Pacific communities, uh, is something that we should look to develop and build that trust with. And I think we belatedly learned that with COVID, that uh, there is a resource here that if we can build a relationship with, we may well be able to advance a goal that we all want. And it's the sort of things I'm interested in, in developing. And yeah, you mentioned COVID and we saw Pacific peoples have the highest rates of vaccinations and this was a community-led initiative over the course of two years. So do you think that there is power in community and power in enabling Pacific community leaders who know their people and know what works? Absolutely. The uh, mantra for health... Uh, uh, if you like, or the, the mechanism for, for health will be to devolve decision-making and funding as close to the home and the hapu as possible. And so that starts to get down to communities. And, and I agree with you, the response that we generated during COVID uh, was extraordinary. So what are the learnings? How do we encapsulate that? Uh, how can we power it up and do even better uh, so that we can take uh, that body of work and apply it to immunisation and other objectives that we have? 
You've been a family GP for about 16 years and serving on the Northland District Health Board for three terms. Do you believe targeted services are important, especially for Māori and Pacific, the most vulnerable population group in Aotearoa? Yes, I do. I think once we accept that uh, distribution of resources uh, must first be predicated on need, then once we've set that principle, uh, if we look and say, well, where is the greatest need? Well, it turns out actually uh, Māori and Pacifica can have some of the greatest need. So once we've set that first principle, uh, then it becomes clear as to how um, how resources can be allocated. If you believe this, how does disestablishing Māori health do this and how is that aligned? Oh, it's aligned very clearly because uh, the Māori Health Authority is a centralised entity with all the funding in Wellington on a Wellington knows best philosophy. And I've just said to you, I have that uh, implementation mantra that uh, resources, decision making and funding should be as close to the home and the hapu as possible. And it's quite quite different to where the Māori Health Authority uh, currently has its, its, its operations. There seems to be a lot of concern from doctors and health professionals and uh, the New Zealand Council of Medical Colleges alarmed with the government's decision to scrap smoke-free legislation. Why are you in support of this, considering the law will reduce the number of outlets selling tobacco products from 6,000 nationwide to about 600? Uh, So this is now a discussion you need to have with a responsible minister uh, who now has this delegation, which is uh, Minister Casey Costello. But do you back this personally as someone who has been in the health profession for 16 years? Uh, We back all of the uh, decisions and statements that have been made in the coalition agreement. But from a health perspective, do you think that this is good for people at risk and particularly Pacifica communities? I think what is good is an ambition uh, to continue to drive down smoking rates uh, across New Zealand, and that's an ambition this government has. How will you walk the talk and follow through and provide tangible outcomes if this action is in the opposite direction? Again, the uh, implementation of that legislation is now in the hands of the responsible minister, uh, Minister uh, Casey Costello. Uh, I'll be focusing on a range of health outcomes. Pacifica populations um, are very much uh, very youth-focused now. We're seeing a lot of young people come through the ranks. Um, how will you, uh, I guess, as a Minister of Pacific Peoples, focus on incorporating um, and supporting people um, who have come here from different Pacific regions and still um, want to hold the culture and language as something that's really important to them and they want to kind of um, make sure that their heritage is kind of respected in workplaces and um, a part of their, their mana and being? The Ministry of Pacific Peoples has been um, uh, explaining to me, albeit we're in early stages, some of the work streams they have which encapsulate uh, what you've just seen. Uh, that's still part of briefings uh, we're having, um, but uh, I am understanding the work that's being done and what some of the aspirations in the Ministry are for that. Do you support the Language Weeks? Uh, the Ministry are uh, uh, um, briefing me um, on that. I understand, I think there are seven, maybe, if I'm correct. There are nine Language Weeks. And um, so this is a piece of work that I'm, I'm, I'm asking uh, from them. And uh, certainly it's been encouraging uh, what the initial discussions have been as they've explained to me uh, the, the importance uh, of the language weeks. Um, I'm encouraged by those early discussions. I spoke to a lot of Pacifica outside of South Auckland. I think when we think about Pacifica people, we think, oh, everyone is in South Auckland. But actually, there's a large population in the South Island as well. How will you support people in the South Island and and particularly our Pacific populations around health and accessibility? Mm, So this this is a discussion, actually, for all New Zealanders. I mean, I'd put to you, good luck getting an appointment with your GP tomorrow, or for any of us, actually. So this is a wider discussion uh, around access. 
recognising that certainly Māori and Pacifica can have even uh, greater challenges, sometimes because of the remoteness and reality uh, where, where they live. So um, this is a wider discussion around access in, in the health context, and uh, that's a piece of work that I'm seeking briefings on and that we'll, uh, we'll, we'll look to apply ourselves to uh, over this, this term of government. Uh, do you have a message for Pacifica across Aotearoa? Ah, uh, just that uh, they should be encouraged that uh, Prime Minister Luxon uh, has placed a very senior person uh, at the helm uh, of the ministry and uh, that sends a signal and uh, I have a, a deep passion and a love for this portfolio and uh, I want it to flourish and I want Pacific people to flourish. Papua New Guinea's Communication Minister Timothy Masiu, who's a former journalist, says the job of being a journalist is pivotal. He told a journalism conference in Fiji last month that in a region as rich and diverse as our Pacific, where cultures, languages and perspectives converge, the role of journalism becomes even more crucial. Mr Masiu went on to say the stories told by our journalists contribute to the tapestry of our shared experiences, providing insight, fostering understanding and building bridges across the vast expanse of our Pacific nations. But his government is in the process of trying to rein in its journalists and the promise of restrictions has raised the ire of the sector throughout this year. The president of the PNG Media Council is Neville Choi, and he told Don Wiseman what is driving the government's legislative push and how it might impact journalists. Well, the draft national media policy, which is being driven by Minister for Communications, Timothy Masiu, and the Secretary for the Department of Information and Communication, Stephen Matainaho, that came out earlier with the first draft version, which the media sector did not agree to. It mentioned a lot of um, regulation, but I think the first version was a little uninformed about the state of the media sector and the the role of the PNG Media Council and the self-regulatory environment that the PNG Media operates under. Since then, they have come up with a version 4, which is currently what's been published and what's what's available on their website, on the department's website. That version 4, um, there hasn't been any more development on that. We have heard, the Media Council has heard from the Secretary that they do anticipate a version 5 of this policy. The Media Council will be making a formal submission in response to this version 4, and hopefully with, with version 5 we see a more informed policy. From what we've gathered from the Minister and the Secretary, there has never been a policy governing the media or in respect to the media sector, and um, I think that's what the Minister is trying to put in place. They do feel, the government feels that there needs to be some form of regulation in place for the media. We have done our own research, and it will be included in our formal submission to the Minister. So what we're hearing is that the Minister and the Secretary, or the, 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 what the government is trying to do is create a policy and harness their own government-owned media organizations. Uh, that includes um, MTV, NBC, and FM 100 radio. So part of, I think, what their motivation is to collectively harness government media. And what we've been told is that this policy is focused on that. The Media Council is just wary that anything that's put in place or in policy, which will later become law, must be clear on where the government stands on maintaining media freedom and protecting media freedom in any policy moving forward. What do journalists generally think of it? I mean, someone like yourself, you've worked as a journalist in PNG for a long time. What do you make of it all? The media in PNG has been robust for so many years because it, it operates um, in a self-regulatory environment. The government feels that this self-regulatory environment should be strengthened in some way. 
but it depends on how they're going about doing it. We feel that the media industry in PNG should remain self-regulatory, and we are also shoring up um, our own processes from the council. I think the one of the main instances is the complaints adjudication process. The government feels that there should be something stronger. We we know that there should be something stronger. We've already started work on it for the past two years, in, and we've been reinstalled an independent complaints tribunal. And with our uh, review of our own media council constitution, we've already amended that to increase the purview and the membership of this complaints tribunal. And it's one of our main roles as a council. You must be concerned, uh, the, the wider media council must be concerned about the government eyeing a much more compliant public media. Which is why we're, we are saying that if there is any attempt to strengthen the way media operates, there should be a self-regulatory aspect of it, which is what we are pushing. Any form of regulation, we know that somehow will eventually result in more regulation that curbs media freedom. And that's not just now, but in the future. So we are very aware that there may be moves that even though the motives of the current minister, who is a former journalist, may be noble, we are just wary that anyone else who comes after him have their own ulterior nefarious motives to push stronger regulation for the media, and that's what we don't want. Cook Islander MMA fighter Tawa Kairinga has won the New Zealand welterweight championship title. The headline fight was one of the three title matches at the Ultimate Rage tournament on Saturday evening. Tiana Haxton went along to catch all the action. This gym presents to you the Ultimate Rage and it starts right now. The Auckland-based mixed martial art fighter faced off against Hamilton's Isaac Shikula in a tough, fast-paced battle. Kairinga was declared the winner by the judges' unanimous decision. In a flood of emotions, the 21-year-old fell to his knees at the announcement. He revealed the fight was a tribute to a loved one. Uh, I just dedicated this fight for my mum. She uh, recently passed away. Glad that I did it. I did the, got the job done. I think it went well. Uh, props to my opponent and uh, it's for you, Mum. Kairinga was one of nine fighters from Salt Gym, a South Auckland League Thai boxing team. Majority of the gym members are New Zealand-based Cook Islanders. They are hopeful that more youth will take an interest in MMA and take the sport seriously. Kairinga hopes to see more Pacifica talent step into the ring. I think that's cool. That's amazing. There's a lot of hidden talent in Cook Island, and not only Cook Islanders. Uh, a lot of the Polynesian Islands, you know, uh, they're the whole Pacific. There's a lot of talented fighters in there. Taking on that challenge is Johnny Tehuhu, who joined the team this year. He was one of nine Salt Gym fighters in the Ultimate Rage event. Tehuhu demonstrated his new love for the sport in the ring, saying it has changed his life. You know, I was at home a lot, just not really doing anything. Now I feel, feel better about myself now. Feel good that I'm making better achievements in my life. So. He triumphed over ace fighters Isaiah Kitmister in what was only the second fight of his career. Well, I kept giving it my all and just wouldn't go down, keep coming. So, yeah, yeah, tough dude, tough dude. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I was pretty confident. It's confident when I heard that unanimous. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, everything went well in my opinion. There were 19 fights on the card for the night and the audience were roaring in support in each bout. There was an electric atmosphere in Manurewa as the Pacifica community turned up in full force, further proving that the future is bright for Pacific mixed martial arts.
That's Pacific Waves for today. To listen back, head over to rnzi.com slash programs. We're also on Apple, Spotify and iHeartRadio podcasts. From myself and the RNZ Pacific team, till fast week four.